Hello, I'm Nihal Helmi. Welcome to the second Global Perspective Experience Preview Podcasts. This time, I am talking with Cassie McElveen, who is the Program Quality Deputy Regional Director, West Africa, and Esther Watts, Country Director for Ethiopia. Both work with Care International. Today, we talk about one of the most important topics we will look at at Global Perspectives this year, gender diversity and women leadership. Cassie has more than 20 years experience in nonprofit management and is a leader in the sector in women's empowerment and gender justice in Africa. Esther also has more than 20 years experience management and she spent the last 15 years working effectively with various stakeholders to achieve complex social change in Ethiopia. We would like to invite you to Global Perspectives 2020. The theme this year is passion for inclusion with contributors from civil society organizations, businesses, government, and academia. The Global Perspective experience is virtual, meaning you can join from anywhere in the world. We will provide a space to reflect on what inclusion should look like, how we can continually improve inclusive practices, and continue to engage a range of actors. Please visit our website. Good afternoon. Hello. Thank you for coming and thank you for making the time. Maybe uh, we would like to hear a little bit about you and about the work that you do with CARE. So hi, my name is Esther and I'm the country director with CARE in Ethiopia. I've been with CARE for 10 years and started out as the program quality and learning advisor and then became program director and for the last four years have been country director with CARE and I've lived in Ethiopia for 15 years. And my name is Cassie, and I currently um, oversee program quality in West Africa for care, and have been in care for some time now, over 20 years, and had the pleasure to work all over Africa. And I'm super passionate about the opportunity we have at CARE to connect right down with women at the grassroots up to senior high policy levels. And in my current role, I really have an amazing opportunity to work with these networks of women across West Africa that are super powerful and passionate women standing up for their rights. I'm honored to be part of this organization and to be able to share with everyone today. Great. Thank you so much for that. Cassie, you've touched upon also what is the most passionate thing about your work. Perhaps you can give us a little bit of a snippet. Is there something that gets you up every morning? For me, it it is indeed being able to work across countries and leverage the voices of women and see women gain confidence and courage to challenge some of those inequities that face them and challenge injustices and stand up and raise their voices. And just being able to support women like that and work with them and be inspired from them is it gets me up every day. Thank you. And Esther, if we think about all of the achievements in the past 10 years working with CARE, is there anything that you would like to mention that made an impact on you? Yeah, I think one of the most impactful programs that we have worked on is an early marriage project that we had with adolescent girls. And when we started the project, it was back in 2013. And the baseline identified that 40% of adolescent girls that had been tested at baseline 
had said that they didn't have one friend that they could talk to. And when I reflected back on my own adolescence and the issues that I was dealing with, which were nothing like the issues that the adolescent girls we were working with had to face, the thing that really kind of like made a difference for me was being able to talk to my friends. And when I was thinking about some of the dreadful things that these girls were facing, to have to face that completely on your own and in isolation was really horrifying. And when we finished the project and the girls were able to reflect back on what had changed for them, so many of them said the thing that made the difference was being able to start having friends. We were working with them in small groups and we were um, discussing issues around early marriage and sexual reproductive health and uh, for sure, one of the big things that came out on their own reflections of the three-year project was the fact that they had gained friends and solidarity in working with one another and being a support for one another in the issues that they faced. That sounds truly amazing and quite needed for the community you're working with and for women specifically at a teen and children's age. Would that be something that helped care recognize that there is a problem in maybe diversity or the inclusive approaches that there is around in care or any of these issues definitely. that arise from that? Yeah, definitely. So around 10 years ago, we were um, as an organization looking at three overarching programs, all focused on women and girls empowerment. And we kind of designed um, a theory of change on how we thought or hypothesized that change could happen. And common to all three of the programs was changes in social norms and values that created barriers to women and girls empowerment. And at the time I was program director and globally care collected statistics and data across a number of different metrics and one of the metrics was looking at ratios staffing ratios of women and men in the organizations and care ethiopia globally was um, at 23 percent and was worse than any other country we were bottom of the heap as far as staffing ratios were concerned. We were worse than Afghanistan, we were worse than Pakistan, we were worse than Bangladesh, we were worse than Somalia. And I'd worked in Pakistan, Afghanistan and Bangladesh before with another organization. And looking at the statistics, I was just like, how can we possibly be looking at social norm programming and women and girls empowerment programming and only have 23% female staff? And I couldn't believe that this wasn't having a negative impact on our programming. And when we started looking at it more deeply, uh, we discovered that we had men teaching women how to breastfeed in our nutrition programs. So we, I discussed with our country director and it became a big thing that we said that we would definitely need to be addressing these staffing ratios in order to have improved impact, particularly around our social norm programming and our women and girls empowerment programming. Sounds really good and um, seems like care is going on the, perhaps on the right direction. Cassie, perhaps could you tell me what are the different, let's say, mechanisms to make sure that this, uh, these uh, approaches are implemented? Sure. So just taking us back a bit, CARE had an agenda policy in 1994, um, so quite some time ago, and um, it was general. 
And then we started looking at, in our programming, looking at issues. We, we transferred from a livelihoods approach to a rights-based approach. And we started to see different power barriers being what was um, you know, impeding people from accessing basic needs and services. And as our analysis got more complex and we started to look at power dynamics and these sort of complex you know, structures in society, we started to look at ourselves and we realized, well, hang on, you know, as a human being, I need to be respecting my colleagues in my workplace. My voice needs to be heard as a female staff or as a national of that country, or of a person from a different ethnicity than the, the ethnicity of and power of the country. And these are really complex issues. I remember vividly a conversation in, in Bamako with colleagues when we realized this in 2003. And at that point, CARE had started an awareness reigning process that we call our gender equity and diversity workshops, where we look at what are our differences and then how can we dialogue across those differences and then how can we move that into action and we started rolling this out across the organization within a framework that looked at so our gender equity and diversity which covers a lot of the organizational elements looks at representation so not just how many men women ethnicities religion but also do they have voice what are their positions what access to opportunities do they have What's the learning climate and culture? And how do we promote learning at all levels? And what sort of trust is there amongst colleagues? Hierarchy across, you know, from, from countries, you know, where programming takes place, you know, living in, a, in poverty or up to the secretariat in Geneva or a headquarters office in Oslo or in Atlanta. So looking at all those dynamics as an organization. And so programmatically, you know, we're jumping from 94 on, we have a shared program approach across this complex confederation and sets of indicators that we look at in our programming which we report on every single project initiative program must report on it every year. We have a gender marker that must be reviewed for every initiative. And then we have a set of care international standards that are more organizational that talk about number of male, female. There's even a specific mention of being representative of the community you're in. So either your country or your region. So being sure that your staff is representative. And that has to be reported on now by every single member of the confederation. So that all fits into the accountability framework of the organization that we have to report on annually. You know, it's complex and dynamics change on a regular basis, but those are some frameworks that hold us accountable within a large confederation, along with, you know, programming where our impact population, we seek impact on the lives of women and girls. But it's complicated, that I can say, and it's not easy. And as Esther can share more on, it's constant work. It's constant work because humans by nature, we want power. We want to dominate others. That's how society's developed. And so how do you keep those equal and the voices of the most marginalized in all areas of work? It's not easy. 
No, absolutely. It is not easy. And it is exactly one of the things that we can discuss also in global perspectives. But going back to Esther and following up on what Cassie said about the challenges and how it is a lot of hard work and complex and to find representation in your staff and make sure that care is bettering the lives of women and girls. Operationally and as a pro as a country director, what are the challenges that you face in implementation of those policies? So I think initially, um, when we first started looking at introducing a new policy and a new way of working, we faced many challenges. So when we identified that there were 23% female staff, we had a senior leadership team. And at the time, out of 14 people, we only had two female staff on the senior leadership team. And we discussed and debated for a long time as to whether or not we should reach for 70% female staffing across the organization or 51%. That was a big debate. In the end, we um, decided that we would reach for 51% female staff by 2018. We are currently at 42% female staff. We've kind of like sort of stayed around 40 to 42 since 2018. We are still committed to reaching the 51%, but it has been tough. And one of the first things that we did when we looked at trying to change the staffing ratios was to hold an all-female staff meeting, whereby we gathered every single female from across the organisation, from all grades and all staffing structures, and we gathered them together for a two-day retreat to understand what their thinking and feeling was within the organisation, provide some leadership training, but really to understand what were the challenges that they were facing. And, and numerous challenges came out in that meeting. I think it was the first time where women had been gathered together and they felt like their voice could be heard and that they could speak without um, judgment. And it opened up in some ways a bit of a Pandora's box. A lot of issues around sexual exploitation and abuse came out. A lot of issues around recruitment and unfair recruitment practices came out. And ultimately, a lot of issues around how female staff felt within the organisation. And it was from there that we looked at changing a number of different policies, particularly looking at issues around our maternity leave, introducing flexi hours so that we could become a more family-friendly organisation, introduction of breast pumping rooms in our offices, and particularly looking at development of a really strong internship programme to build a pipeline of female staff in our field offices. I think some of the key challenges was the resistance that we faced initially. It seemed that even the debate that we had in the senior leadership team meeting as to whether or not we should reach 70% or 51%, everybody seemed perfectly happy that we only had 23% female staff, and yet the proposition that we should have 70% female staff was rejected pretty much wholesale as the senior leadership team, hence we ended up with the 51%. But gradually, as some of these changes started taking place, some of our male staff, particularly our senior male staff, felt that they were no longer valued in the organisation. And there was a lot of pushback that a lot of the training and a lot of the focus was now on females and that some of our male staff were missing out. There was a lot of pushback around the quality of our programming, people saying that the quality of our programme 
would go down because we would be recruiting people who had less experience. And so some of the ways that we addressed that was to really focus in on our organisational culture, to provide opportunities for all our staff to voice these concerns. And we developed a male coaching programme for our male staff that were feeling these issues around our quality going down and particularly issues around not being the focus for training anymore and how they could address that. So some considerable challenges. I, I think we've come a long, long way. And I believe now a lot of the staff that uh, we work with would say that we are a better organization because we are more diverse. There's no doubt that when you really have a diverse organization, it creates tension because diversity means difference. And you need to be able to handle those differences in a thoughtful and empathetic way. However, it's that diversity that also brings innovation and creativity and new ideas. If you have everybody who thinks the same way, then you're going to continue doing the same thing forever. Whereas it's that diversity that really brings um, new ways of working and new ideas. And I believe that the majority of the people in Care Ethiopia would now say, we are a much better organization and the quality of our programming is better because of that diversity. Cassie, as the head of the quality program in, in, in West Africa, what are the positive changes? I mean, you just heard Esther talk about how um, diversity uh, it can bring challenges, but it also can bring innovation, which sounds about right, but also, and it, it's fantastic from my point of view, is to have both because that's how we learn and how we grow. But from your perspective, what positive changes did this bring to care? There's several on different areas, and one I'm thinking of particularly comes around related very recently to COVID issues. And we globally care has been conducting rapid gender analysis, and we have a certain framework we use. And we did a regional one in West Africa, and we felt that we were missing the voices of youth. And so using WhatsApp, a very informal approach where a lot of people feel comfortable, we launched out and sought volunteers amongst our our country office staff and our partner staff within the region um, to help us do some interviews with youth. And within a matter of days, we had over 150 volunteers who were all seeking out youth in their communities to interview and ask three questions about how COVID has impacted them. And the results are at many levels. One, the group of, there's a group of a team in Nigeria, and they said, listening to these youth has inspired me, and I need to now influence our senior team in Nigeria to change some projects we're working on, change some proposals, because I don't think we listen to the youth well enough when we design them. And that's sort of going forward on an economic project. At another level, we realized regionally that there were some issues around between young women and young men where young women 
the biggest stressor they've got is about food. And we found this odd. And so we dug deeper where young women are already playing a critical role in feeding their families, where young boys are looking at schooling and income for, for to pay for their schooling. And those are the biggest stressors happening. And we would never have gotten those stories and that insight if we hadn't had this group of volunteers, all young, who reached out amongst their networks and amongst communities and took a lot of passion into it and brought us that evidence. We then have sort of, you know, monitoring and evaluation experts helping us to analyze it and make sure we're statistically, you know, acceptable. And so some of the technical sides to match that passion that came from the youth. And so breaking down hierarchies, valuing everyone regardless of their grade, regardless of their age, and saying your voice counts can you help us better understand this and handing over the power for them to collect has directly increased our programming and that didn't cost us anything so these things don't have to be complicated now i'm not saying we've got systemic change but we've improved the quality of our programming and i hope the impact of what we're going to be doing and so i think when you pause you think about these issues And you take into consideration the thoughts, the ideas of all members of your your staff, you can really have impact. And just one little thing that we did in West Africa about three years ago, we had a very male sort of culture. Our West Africa team is um, majority nationals from the different countries in West Africa, West and Central Africa. So we're an extremely diverse team, but we had a lot of men. And a lot of women felt their voices weren't really had space. Who knows why? So we created it's called Sisters Group. It's a WhatsApp group, and it started with six of us. And now there's over 200, and we share things, whether it's a meme you see about Michelle Obama doing something, or some women are elected in an office, or how do you, you know, some tip on how to breastfeed, anything. It creates this amazing solidarity and gives you courage. I mean, I would love to find a way to measure the impact of that group on how many women then have the courage to apply for more senior positions, have the courage to reach out and say, I need some help on this. What do you think about that? And raise their voice. So I think there's a lot of ways if we just remember, you know, integrate feminist principles and approaches that everyone's voice counts. And we've got a collective, we need to work together to solve this problem because social injustice and poverty, these are big problems we're facing. So that's just a little bit of insight for me. Thank you. Thank you so much. And throughout your work in Africa for the past, you both probably have been uh, working in Africa for more than 10 years. Is there anything that you have learned specifically from your work in the region and also about how you work throughout those 10 years? I'll go ahead and give Esther more time to think. That's a tough question. I mean, I've spent my my entire life in Africa, and it's extremely diverse, you know, from Congo to to the Sahel is very different. And I think for me, one of the biggest things I've learned is that regardless of the culture, 
the religion. Everyone understands that all people should be respected and given a voice. Now, there are social norms that come into place and cultures and practices that push them down. But if you take the time slowly to not threaten people, you can get that word across and that idea across. Sadly, we've got a lot of patriarchy in different forms in different places and they're big challenges to, to tackle. But if you can find ways to raise the voices of the most marginalized so they feel self-confident to speak up, transformation can happen. So for me, it's really about helping create those foundations for courage um, for people who have not got much to found any courage on and help them become leaders of change. Thank you. What about you, Esther, throughout your work in Africa? What are the most important lessons that you would like to share? I think my biggest lesson from our programming and from the institutional transformation that we have been through over the last 10 years is role modeling. And I think it's very difficult to be what you can't see. And especially for young women, um, when we started out and we were doing programming in the rural areas, so many girls wanted to be health extension workers or possibly teachers. But if you asked any girl, they would basically come up with two answers that they would even want to be a teacher or a health extension worker. And if you ask girls now, they will have this whole plethora of answers of what they want to be. And I really believe that's because they've started seeing women in positions that the previous prior 10 years ago, girls hadn't seen. And I think that that is the same for myself in my own personal life. It's very difficult to try. You can think about something cerebrally and theoretically, but if you haven't seen someone doing something that looks like you and is like you, it's very difficult to imagine that you might be able to do it. And I passionately believe that young women and young girls really need more role models that they can see that look like them, that um, are project managers or program managers or uh, leaders in government um, sectors and government offices or are more than teachers, that they're head teachers or women that they see politicians on the television or they hear speaking on the radio. I think it's absolutely vital that we encourage more and more women into new spheres of work and new spheres of life to be able to provide opportunity to, to young women to actually see that it's possible for them to be whatever they want to be and whoever they believe they can be when they see other people acting in these role models as well. Thank you. Honestly, that was very important and very good to hear from the leadership of Care International that you are working towards a more diverse and inclusive programming. So at the end, is there anything else that you would like to add before we close this podcast? For me, is that the fight has to keep going. And at all times, you need to find that courage. There's times when I've been battered down, when I've been looked at and said, Cassie, you don't understand. And when I find that energy, usually from another woman that says, keep going, or from someone that's been, you know, because of their ethnicity or their religion, been suppressed. 
Um, it's those people that give me the courage to keep fighting and keep struggling, and we have to keep. So for me, that's the final thing is that it's complex, and international development doesn't mean that we're helping all, you know, the, the, the whole business doesn't necessarily mean that those most marginalized and most oppressed are being helped. Um, and so we need to be constantly working at it at all times. And from my side, it's leadership and leadership continuity. I really believe that transformation and particularly gender transformation takes time and it takes persistence. And like Cassie said, you can't give up and continuity of leadership and a commitment to to that change process and seeing it through to fruition is absolutely vital, which again, I think just requires more and more women in senior significant leadership positions to ensure that these change processes really do get seen through. For me, I think the last point will be around continuity of leadership. I think from our own learning, it's absolutely vital that you have leaders that have a vision and can see that through to fruition. And our own experiences, it does take a long time. And unless you have that continuity of leadership to take it through, then you will often see regression and backtracking. And therefore, from my own side and from my own personal experience, having more females in senior leadership positions and significant leadership positions is absolutely vital. Women in leadership who who have that vision for change, who can drive it forward and given the time and the support to see it through to fruition. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you both for uh, the great podcast and for the great information that you have given us. This was just a snippet of different conversations that you can have at Global Perspectives. And if you want to learn more about the challenges and the opportunities that Care International is facing in creating a inclusive and legitimate uh, also Global Confederation of National Actors, please check into our session on Monday with Andres Gomez de la Tora and Tessie Chirono Meritan as well. Yeah, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity. It's been great speaking with you. Thank you, Esther, and thank you, Cassie, for the wonderful information about Care International and about your work that you're doing on gender diversity inside care. Yeah, thank you so thank much. Thank you so for much for this opportunity. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you to my guests, Esther and Cassie, for an excellent conversation. Thank you to everyone who is listening. Remember, if you want to attend our virtual Global Perspectives experience, please click on the link in the description.